Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Get Techducated podcast, where we talk to professionals about their experiences in the North American markets. So most of our focus will be on technology, but we'll expand outside of tech and we'll speak to specialists that are doing big things across the continents. So this podcast is hosted by TechDecades. Uh, let me just give you a brief intro to TechDecades. Uh, TechDecades is an edtech platform that's focused on upskilling and reskilling migrants to thrive in the, North, um, in the North American technology markets. Our vision is to ensure that skilled workers make a smooth transition to these markets and get that six-figure annual package that they deserve. For more details, please feel free to check us out at www.techducates.com. Send us an email at info at or check us out on our social media accounts. Moby, please share those accounts with our listeners. Yeah, so we're active on LinkedIn. You can reach us at linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash techducate. We're also very active on Instagram. So it's at techducate underscore. I'll take that again, at techducate underscore. You can check us out on our website where you can get all the info and all our courses are there. That's www.techducate.com. Email us info at techducate.com. Twitter at techducate. So it's easy to find. All right. All right. Over to you, GD. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Moby. Thanks for sharing all of that. So let's get right into today's podcast. I will start by introducing myself. My name is GD and I live in Ontario, Canada. I'm a technology program slash project manager by day and a chronic entrepreneur by nights, weekends, and holidays. So I spend quite a lot of time ideating and building products. I've been successfully doing this for the past decade. So I've worked and delivered projects and programs in five continents and across seven industries, from energy all the way to automotive retail technology. I'm also very passionate about sharing knowledge and growing this community. Uh, so I partnered with Moby to found TechDecades. Uh, Moby, over to you. Please introduce yourself. I wish I had an interesting introduction like you, Jide, but um, I'll see if I can make mine sound interesting. So Moby Onoha is the name. Chuku Moby Onoha is the full name. Currently, I am a business leader in the technology division of one of the top universities in Ontario, Canada. Prior to then, my career revolved between marketing, sales, general management, and information technology. Over the past decade, I've worked with multinationals such as Standard Bank of Africa, KPMG, and Procter & Gamble. I spent about about um, eight years in Procter & Gamble in different management functions. I have a very deep passion for helping people, especially helping immigrants land their dream jobs. And that's kind of why I partnered with GD on TechDecate. Awesome. Thanks for the intro, Moby. So jumping into the topic for today, uh, today we'll be talking about cybersecurity. I'll not pretend I know so much about this domain, but the good thing is that we have a specialist in the house to give us more insights. Let me start by giving a quick intro to who our guest for today is. Uh, his name is Abimbola, Abimbola Adebite. Uh, short form Abi, uh, and he refers to himself as a security guard, which in the true sense of the word, within technology, that's actually what he does. Uh, he guards web and mobile applications. Abimbola is an application security specialist with interest in security architecting, risk and vulnerability assessments, and penetration testing. If you meet Abimbola, the first thing he tells you when he's introducing himself is that he is the voice of quality and he champions solutions to problems. He has spent over a decade working across multiple domains. He's passionate about enterprise architecture security. And outside of application security experience, he volunteers as a teaching assistant on cyberary.com. In his spare time, he mentors individuals that are new to quality assurance, performance, and security testing. So definitely reach out to him, connect with him on the different social media platforms. I'm sure he'll share them. And without further ado, let me hand over to Abimbola to tell us more about himself and his technology journey. Hi, Abimbola. 
Hey, hey guys, uh, thank you for the introduction and thank you for having me here today. Like Judea said, yes, over a decade. And uh, I, I think one thing, one thing I would like to share that might not be out there is I'm self-taught. Everything I know in technology, in IT today, I took it upon myself, yielded myself to the knowledge. And close to a decade later, here we are being a thought leader in, in this uh, field. Uh, it's been a long, long journey, but, and it's still a journey that we continue to take on because the application security field, cybersecurity as a whole, information security being the umbrella, is one that you cannot stop learning because every day there's one thing or the other that is happening and you just need to keep uh, exposing yourself to that kind of knowledge. I mean, isn't that the entire IT industry? I don't, I don't think there's any subfield in IT that you just can't stop, or rather, you just have to keep learning. I'd say. I very, I thank you, thank you for calling that out. In the grand scheme of things, you know, when you, when say, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm not disregarding any profession here, but okay, let me speak about one I've done before, which is QA. Once you learn about QA, you know how to automate, you know, it becomes that. And you keep automating, you keep uh, writing test scripts, and that's, that's just about it, you know. You can now start to say, oh, I'm introducing this framework, or I'm thinking about doing um, agile methodology, agile testing, or collapsing test plan into a single page. But in terms of cybersecurity and information security as a whole, you need to be able to listen to podcasts. You need to listen to read news stories, read articles. And in fact, it has become a major staple in interview questions where people or interviewers will ask you, how do you stay up to date? It's really important, not just because you're building your career or yourself or your knowledge, is also in the application of those skills or those knowledge uh, that you've garnered over the period or while listening or while reading, it, it has to come to bear in the work that you do every day. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think you said something very important that I just wanted to highlight there, which is the word self-thought. I mean, we are schooled in Africa and I'm yet to see anybody that graduated from an African university that would say, oh, this, they prepared me for this particular job or they prepared me for cybersecurity or they prepared me for project management. Most people I've seen that are doing well in North America, most people that have been able to make that transition at some point in time, they had to teach themselves. So I think it's a very important point you, you raise. But anyway, that's not why we're here today. Jide, over to you, back to you. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for giving us an insight into your uh, background, Abimbola. I, I know you started your career in Lagos. You know, Lagos is a city or is a state in Nigeria. Nigeria is a country in Africa. And you know, speaking to you today, I understand you're somewhere in North America. You're in, you're in the province of Ontario, in the country, Canada, in North America. <laughs> so that's quite a journey, you know, yes. thousands of miles. How have you transitioned from being and working in Nigeria to where you are right now? Can you give us an idea of that journey? I mean, um, after crossing the seven seas and I look back, <laughs> I, I realized that, yes, uh, this story is indeed worth sharing. It's something that we should look back to. I look back to often and I say, wow, even if I've come this far, I'm not stopping at this point that I've, I've gotten to. 
So in terms of answering your question directly, after I, I studied mass communication and after finishing school, I was, I was confused. Initially, I used to work in, in an hotel. I, yes, I did work in the broadcast industry as well. I worked in three TV stations and one syndicate station. During my stint in broadcast, I worked in front of the camera, behind the camera. I worked in the master control room. There was nothing I did not do. <laughs> the only thing I didn't do was cleaning. <laughs> I did anything and everything I could lay my hands on. But I think... And, it, and that was also self-taught, right? Uh, well, <laughs> you could say that to an extent because they prepare you in theory, but not, not in practice. So there were quite a number of things that I had to learn on the fly. But I, I, I would say that that was the launch pad for me. I never looked back since then. After that, I, I went on to manage uh, an hotel as night duty manager. And it was at that point, I was like, oh no, I can be better than this. And I was looking for several things to do. And a, a, an opportunity opened up to learn about Oracle. I must say, I did not really enjoy the experience, but it opened, it opened up the world to other things because I kept on looking at the blue screen and I was like, the heck is this <laughs> but i mean it was really interesting the oracle knowledge did come to bear later in my career down the line uh it would interest you to know and it was from there i heard about my next gig and it was the first time i received a huge sum of money in salary i was like Wow, what is this? A huge sum of money for what? Sorry, was that a salary? salary? Oh, okay, yeah. okay well, yeah. Like, I was like, wow, like that. And, and this was transitioning from the media industry to... From the, the hospitality, because I moved from media to hospitality, hospitality to IT, and okay. it was really interesting. Well, it was really fascinating because I got to travel. I went to all the states. It was a really fun job, um, traveled a lot, uh, got exposed to, to different cu cultures. And I, I must say that in, in all of the travels, I started to realize and notice that traveling in itself is some form of education. And I would encourage anyone listening today to, to try, leave, leave your comfort zone in terms of where you are today and just travel. Not, not, I mean, not, not flouting the COVID regulations <laughs> as at this time, but I mean, hopefully when things start to become better, uh, people start to travel. Uh, back, to, back to my story, eventually when it was time to move on to the next stage of my career, I would say that that stage of my career found me. I didn't, I stumbled upon it. I was not ready for it, but when it did happen, I, I saw an opportunity and I'm like, oh, I'm not letting this go. There was, I think, performance testing issues with the portal that we were using. It was a World Bank-sponsored project for the federal government, and we were required to capture all employees of the federal government, uh, capture their biometrics data, capture some, I think, five documents uh, that showed that they were really, truly employed uh, with the federal government. From then, when the portal was slow, it was like, I was shepherded or it was my turn to, to talk about it because I, I interfaced a lot with the uh, federal government employees and I sent out an email to the head office in Lagos and said, oh, people are experiencing uh, issues in terms of performance on the portal that they are using to collect their data and their information. 
uh, can someone help look into this? And that was it. That was how I got into quality assurance. That email changed the course of my career from someone who was just collecting biometrics information, data capture officer to uh, quality assurance. And then a position opened up in Lagos. I think, yeah, out of like five people, um, I got the job because I felt like I prepared enough for it. I knew I was not the most qualified, but I, I just had that feeling that I can't, I can't turn back from here. I just have to do this. And um, that was how I grew from being the only and junior tester to lead tester in a year and a half. And so as a, as a tester, did you get any formal training? I'm just curious to know. Uh, Talk about yes. growing. Yes, um, the company did pay for training for me, um, but it, it still did not stop there. Um, because I didn't know anything about software testing, it was still a green field then. So uh, what I did was listen to people. I would consider myself not the numbers guy. I would say I'm someone who would... Um, I'm, I'm the qualitative person in, in terms of qualifying scenarios, qualifying situations, rather than being the one that says, oh, this will cost us X. Because I, for the life of me, I don't know what X and Y is doing together, but that's another kettle of, <laughs> <laughs> that's another kettle of fish. Um, I mean, that's but, understandable when you say you studied mass, mass communication. So it's right. Yeah. Granted. But again, I mean, over time, I've started to realize why X and X and Y can't stay together. And A, A minus B can be equals to C. You know, those, those kind of things, um, that skills that you pick up um, as you interact with certain people, certain situations and, and, and processes. So what I did over a period of time was to find a niche for myself. And that niche was understanding processes. So I get into a place and all I focus on doing is understanding the process. What is the process like? You know, that way I was able to separate myself um, from the rest. Everyone would talk about numbers, they would butt heads and all of that. And I'm talking about different scenarios that you probably would not have thought about, you know, and I'll just throw it in there. And I would say for me, that was my, that's the strength. That's what I bring to the table on all of the projects that I've worked on. It was upwards from there, you know, I started to get into performance testing, API testing, database testing, security testing. It was intense, but I did it. And from there, I was able to grow the team, manage the team, started to act in cross-functional um, capacity. And I'll give all the props to my previous manager then who kept on pushing me, who kept on believing in me. And he kept on exposing me to these uh, situations. I decided to make the move to Canada in 2016, actually. But that did not materialize until two years later in 2018. And that was when I left Nigeria for Canada, got here in 2018, found a QA job. That, that took a while. I, I worked in a factory before finding that job because I surrounded myself with that kind of information where all I was hearing is, if you don't work in the factory, you cannot make it. I'm like, ah, wow, I think I'll try this factory. And I did. I did it for, I think, about four days, less than a week. And I'm like, no, I can't. This is this is done for me. <laughs> this is done for me. And slowly, gradually, I, I did a, a small, I think I did like two weeks for a company where we were transcribing uh, YouTube videos. And after that, between when I landed and when I landed uh, the QA job, 
it took exactly 90 days. And I remember then in November, I was so excited. I think I'd, I'd just uh, left the other transcriptionist job and I was like, you know what, whatever. I'll just do whatever it takes to get the job. And I kept on applying. And I think the silliest thing I did was not adapting my resume. Uh, maybe I might have gotten a job earlier. Maybe not, you know. But I noticed that when I started to adapt my resumes, tailor my resumes to the job descriptions that I was seeing then, things started to align. I started to get calls, started to get interviews until later it materialized into an actual job. That reminds me, that, that reminds me, sorry, Jide, sorry to cut you in, but it reminds me when you said something about surrounding yourself with the people, that the yeah. kind of people you surround yourself with. I think that's a very important point that we probably need to trash out in another podcast yeah. because I've heard a lot of immigrants say, I moved, I surrounded myself with the wrong people. Now yeah. I'm doing something that I totally hate. And while you have on the, on the flip side, people that surround themselves with the right people mm-hmm. that encourage them to try out new things, to be bold and make bold moves and be able to land fantastic jobs. So that's a point that I think is very important to discuss someday. Yeah. So yeah. if you're mm-hmm. moving, surround yourself with the right people. It's very important. Surround yourself with the right people. And Moby, yes. I think we should also highlight how, maybe in, in a further uh, conversation or in another podcast uh, edition, how you can align yourself with, within that space. You know, One of the things you should look out for is looking out for Nigerian groups. If you are into tech, look out for tech groups. Things are done differently here compared to how we know it to be in Nigeria. And of course, I'm sure... Nigeria just being the uh, reference point here, I'm sure it will be different country, country by country, case by case basis, you know. Yeah. So anyway, if I may hop in back here. So just um, kind of moving it back to what we're talking about today, cybersecurity. What is it exactly? Can you tell the listeners what cybersecurity is and why should anybody even care in the world? Hmm. Interesting question. It's debatable. But I would say out of all of this, what the one that does not get talked about the most is information security. Cybersecurity and information security, people would always think of it as the same. And I understand that this might create confusion within the security world and even outside of the security world. But there are so many terms flying around these days because there are new technologies uh, introduced every day, you know, and it's, I, I'm not surprised that there's going to be that kind of debate what is cybersecurity? What is information security? But I think I'll start by saying information security is the umbrella term or is the umbrella for cybersecurity. And cybersecurity is cybersecurity, network security, application security, cryptography. They are underneath information security. So to be able to draw a clear distinction can be tough. I would say that cybersecurity helps to deal with protecting information in the cyberspace. Cybersecurity focuses solely on online threats, while information security is the big picture. In cybersecurity, you learn to think like the hacker. You need to have a deep understanding of how malicious softwares come to play, how they interact with your day-to-day life. And in cybersecurity, you get to act as defense the first line of defense. While in information security, you make plans to uh, recover from a breach. You deal with protecting data from any threats. 
and you get to oversee unauthorized access, modification, or dis- disruption, you know. Uh, I think it's better to look at it in comparison with information security than just trying to define cybersecurity because sometimes in certain discourse, the lines can be blurred. So if you compare it with information security and cybersecurity, uh, you'll be able to tell that within cybersecurity, you focus solely on, on threats, while in information security, you focus on the big picture of the security landscape. I would say it's clearer in my head, but it's still a bit confusing. Why I say so is because I hear people say different things. Mm-hmm. So people say network security is part of cybersecurity. They say disaster recovery planning is part of cybersecurity. And um, we talk about end user education. They call it maybe, let's say, we're running a cybersecurity project and we're educating people how, on how to detect phishing emails and all those things. All that is packaged under cybersecurity. So what exactly should be under information security and what, what should be under cybersecurity? Everything that is under cybersecurity that you just mentioned is under information security, actually. Okay, so cybersecurity is like an offshoot of information security. Yes. Uh, uh, Information security is the big picture, is the umbrella that encompasses or envelopes all of what you've just mentioned, including cybersecurity. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. I never saw it like that. I mean, I I thought it was the other way around, but thank you very much for clarifying. (laughs) Yeah, that's why we brought you here. I mean, that's why you're the expert. All right. And just delving in further, so are you saying cybersecurity can only or, or cybersecurity is only focused on the internet? So if, for example, um, someone comes into your office, he brings a USB stick, he plugs it into your computer, and then he uh, he installs malicious content on your computer, not over the internet, but using his physical device, mm-hmm. would that still be considered cybersecurity, or it has to go through the internet network? So I mean, if I hear you correctly. Um... You say someone was able to get in to an office space, brings in USB uh, device to a machine that is not connected to the internet, right? So the machine is connected to the internet, but he doesn't access the machine through the internet. So okay. he accesses it manually. Or physically. Physically, physically yes. He yes. Physically. Yeah. And then he's able to install malicious, device, uh, malicious contents that then mm-hmm. hacks into the network. Yes. So does cybersecurity based on how the access, how the malicious access happens so okay i think i think i i see the perspective you are coming from so the activity of that malicious program would fall under cybersecurity, right while the everything involved from the point where that guy was able to walk into that office space should have been covered under information security Hmm. So does information security actually include the physical security? So having it yes, exactly, oh, exactly. So it's not it's not just computers, it's not just networks, and that's why I say cybersecurity is under information security because it's just one thing, and and that's part of what um, I intend to demystify today because uh, people usually not people, uh, sorry, many would focus on network security as the only domain in cybersecurity. No, there are several other things uh, that we should also take into consideration. The physical security of assets is also important as the network that whatever program that you're running, whatever application you're running uh, is as important. The same priority that you give to 
is the same that you give to the physical uh, security. So from the point where that malicious individual, that uh, that bad actor was able to walk in, that should have, there should have been some defense in depth, some layers that will have been able to check that guy till he was able to plug in um, USB. I mean, uh, that in itself and all of the reaction that will have happened would fall under information security. I mean, this is a very nice, interesting distinction I'm making because I remember my previous organization, so they would have the cybersecurity activities that they're doing, mm -hmm. but then they would have the information security activities that include, first of all, ensuring that nobody's following you when you badge in, Correct. ensuring that everybody has a badge, ensuring that you shred anything that is printed before the end of the day, somebody actually shreds everything that is left around the printer. Yeah, so it makes, makes perfect sense. I, I like that you've, you've been able to call that out because all of that is applicable to the different types of controls where I'm sure if I mention it, you'll be able to draw an inference. Uh, mm -hmm. It's preventive, uh, detective, corrective, yeah. deterrent, recovery, and compensating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know, I've heard of a, a few of the words that you mentioned, not of it, all of them, but it's an interesting point you mentioned now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that also brings up the point of even having a backup generator on sites, because yes. you don't want uh, that's also some form of information security. Yeah, that's a disaster. That falls disaster under recovery. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. And then I, I know Moby and I are relatively... Uh, we are relative novices in this space and i can imagine that you've had to deal with a lot of recruiters that have a wrong understanding of what it means to recruit either a cybersecurity specialist or an information security specialist can you right. share one of those interesting stories with us where you've seen that the recruiter that posted that job has no clue what they're recruiting for i mean there was one that was flying around some time ago uh i think they were asking for uh, kubernetes i believe and kubernetes just started less than a decade ago you know, and even the founder of Kubernetes was like, yo, <laughs> 12 years, 15, 15 years of experience, you know. Um, <laughs> they were asking for 10 years or 12 years of experience of something that started I mean, 10 years ago. <laughs> exactly. That started less than the period that, that they were um, uh, asking for. I mean, it's it's really important to put this out there and, and, and for people to understand that the recruiters, most of the time, when they put out JDs, they, I mean, this is changing, but before now, you would see they are asking one person to do the job of an entire team. And don't feel discouraged. You can go ahead and apply, to be honest, because half of the time, they are not even going to look at what's on the JD. They want to know, okay, are you going to be able to do this? Are you going to be able to fit into the company culture? And the onus will now lie on the applicant to say, okay, this, this is my roadmap within this role. I've seen certain JDs where they probably would ask you to do network security, application security, uh, digital forensics, identity and access management. They're asking you to do all of the domains, <laughs> you know, <laughs> classified by even uh, ISC Square that, that does uh, CISSP. Those kind of roles uh, or those kind of JDs should have been broken into in fact, several teams, not just one team, you know. Uh, one team will say consists of a group of ind individuals. Those kind of domains uh, or, or JDs should have focused on separating that kind of JD into uh, separate teams. So, yes, uh, I've been to an interview where they were asking me to do the job of an entire team. And I've been to an, in an interview where 
I was even correcting the uh, recruiter and saying, uh, no, you've got that wrong. That's not what it should be. Uh, I was saying the definition of what you put on your JD is wrong. This is what this definition means. And it was really an eye-opening experience because I started to realize that as for as many JDs that you see out there, many of them don't know what they're putting out there. I mean, if, if I may add what I've seen from my own experience, and I, I think I actually read it in a book recently, they clearly differentiated between sometimes the people that write the job description and mm-hmm. who actually want know what they want. So yeah. many times it might be a VP or a director of information technology that is recruiting for a role. Yes. But then it's HR that has to write the job description and HR has no idea. And then sometimes it's verbally described. Mm-hmm. HR goes off to write and what the recruiting manager actually has in his head or her head is totally different from what is written. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, so that might be what, what happens many of these times, I guess. I mean, I've, uh, recently there was a situation where, so the JD comes from recruiting manager and then goes to HR. Um, because HR does not have visibility in terms of what the nitty-gritty is, um, HR goes ahead to publish or post that kind of JD without vetting. And then at the end of the day, when it's time to recruit, people will start to falsify or misrepresent themselves on resumes. Not because of, they are doing it intentionally, but you know how the ATS would discard certain resumes if you are not up to a threshold. Um, So people will start to quote verbatim the the JD, you know. Saying they have 15 years of Kubernetes. (laughs) Right, you know, so it even cause potential recruitment fraud as a whole, it just, proliferates that kind of action on, on the long run. So, uh, and that's why I'm saying that this is changing where you now start to see recruiters are focusing on uh, cyber security. You know, even if they don't know in-depth, they're able to call out JDs if it comes from the recruiting manager and say, uh, sir or ma, you need to change this. This will not fly. Um, you know, to give more context to what Abimbala said earlier about expecting you to to perform various roles across the information security spectrum. So it's similar to being an engineer. So you're, mm-hmm. a, you're a mechanical engineer and you apply for a job and the job description is you have to be a mechanical engineer, an electrical engineer, a chemical yeah. engineer, a petroleum engineer. I mean, so they just ask you engineering is engineering. <laughs> it's not that. And I'm sure we all, we've all experienced it at home as um, Africans where our parents assume, oh, you're an engineer, come on, fix this light bulb. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> everything as long as you studied engineering you know how to do everything including build a house exactly <laughs> exactly then i mean but i've spoken about the applic- the ats so the ats is applicants tracking system uh it's a commonly used tool across uh, i think north america europe it automates the filtering of resumes that are submitted based on certain keywords yes. so it, it matches your resume to the job description that was posted and it automatically filters out uh, resumes that don't align. That pressures a lot of applicants to try to mirror that resume, even when they know the resume contains a lot of unreasonable expectations. Yeah. So I think there are two lessons. If you think you qualify for a job, go ahead and apply. And secondly, from Abimbala's story, you can see that uh, you should feel confident to politely school the recruiter. She should piece your knowledge of that space. Yeah, yeah. Politely is the key word. Politely. Exactly. Politely, yeah. So you don't get yourself out of the competition. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I I know Abimbala focuses on uh, 
application security and penetration testing. Uh, do you want to give us a quick overview of what that entails? That's one um, of the branches of cybersecurity, correct? Yeah, the domains that I focus on, um, security assessment and testing, software development, security. Uh, so basically in these two, two domains, uh, it's not as common as what you get in terms of network security, security engineering, you know, this, um, uh, what's it called, especially from the perspective of security assessment and testing that covers pen test, penetration test, vulnerability management, vulnerability assessment, you know, there are three, there are three ways. And one of the, one of the key concepts to look out for is designing and validating um, assessments. You need to be able to come up with test and audit strategies and these test and audit strategies can come in three forms. Uh, there's the internal audit, there's the external audit, and then there's the third party auditing, uh, who is expected to provide a neutral and objective approach. The B part to uh, pen testing, security uh, assessments, where you do and you conduct um, uh, security control testing. This is where vulnerability assessments falls under. Vulnerability assessment. The goal of vulnerability assessment is to identify uh, elements within an environment that are not adequately protected. Uh, while the goal of penetration testing is to purpose, purposefully attack um, a system or systems uh, in an attempt to bypass automated controls. Uh, another goal of pen test is to uncover weaknesses in the security so that they can be um, addressed and mitigated uh, against. Uh, another key part that does not get uh, enough recognition is log reviews. If, if you look at the trends of hacks these days, if only they had just looked at the logs early enough, you know, they might have been able to discover uh, these hacks and it won't, it, won't take for, for, uh, it won't take too long for them to mitigate. Other ones that we need to look at again, black box, te black box testing, white box testing, just to mention a few, all of these are under um, pen testing and um, other forms of vulnerability assessment. But the one I enjoy working on is where you embed and you bake in security in the process. Uh, that falls under software engineering uh, security, where from the point of view, putting finger to keyboard to start writing code, you are thinking about security. You're saying building security in the process. I hear that a lot. I don't, I don't know how many companies actually do it because anybody that attends any formal IT training now, Agile, they will mm -hmm. say build testing into the process, build security into the process. I wonder how many people are actually doing it out there. But that brings me to another question because I was reading about this solar wind hack that happened. And you mentioned something about reviewing logs. Yes. What, what actually happened there? I mean, in a nutshell, in a way that a non-technical person can understand mm. what happened in that solar wind. Yeah, I even heard something, I don't know how true it is, about the, they used a password that was so easy to, to identify. So what, what yeah. exactly happened? There's been, there's been large-scale uh, breaches before, but why this particular hack or attack is getting so much attention is because of the way it happened. The flaw, the major flaw was in the application itself where the traditional cyber attack kill chain 
would be that, oh, someone went ahead and hacked the application, brought down the application, but this was embedded in their code. And it just sat there for a while. And then they started to move laterally to acquire privileged accounts. And I think for most parts, you, you think about it and you see, why is this, why is this solar wind getting so many hits in the news? You know, when you say, hey, I, I, fixed, I, I, I was able to get your password or, and I logged in with that password I got, for SolarWind, the vulnerability was in their build process. The malicious code just sat there and it was just waiting to be activated. And then the, the bridge starts to look like a very traditional application. This hack must have happened a long time ago. And we're only knowing about it now after some form of investigation has been done. Nothing is con concluded yet, you know? Yeah. But what, what was really interesting was the fact that this had been there for a long, long time. And it was a flaw within um, the code of SolarWing itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't followed up recently, but I do hear um, that it sat there for a while and we're not even sure what they might have accessed yet. So, Correct. Yeah, so anyways. I, I think for me, in terms of, I like to approach this from an application security perspective. And the key takeaway would be always lay your, layer your approach to security. There's no one silver bullet for everything. If you are spinning up an environment, do not use default password. If you are going to be using APIs, or command line interface, let every developer have their own access. Don't share password. You know, all of these common user education tips that they talk about, the biggest culprits, I would say, are developers. And, yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, the operation operations guys, um, the guys that move files from one place to the other. And that's why there's a need to automate all of this so that uh, going forward, you'll be alerted rather than you trying to walk back to find where you've missed, you get the yeah. alerts in real time. Yeah. People using passwords are being like one, two, three. I mean, <laughs> all these guys, please never, ever write your password anywhere. If you're going to write your password anywhere, uh, use a password manager, please. Yeah, interesting okay. point. So, uh, Bimbala, I'm sure there are thousands of migrants coming in from India, Nigeria, the Middle East uh, that mm -hmm. are wondering how they can become cybersecurity experts. So what advice would you give them? How do they break into this space without, uh, with the assumption they don't have bachelor's or master's degrees in cybersecurity, uh, if, if that exists? How can they break into this space? I mean, and, and that's a really um, interesting question because I would point to myself as a reference. If I can make it in this field, I can't tell you anyone can because there are several uh, domains in applications in, in cybersecurity. I wanted to say information security. I said application. There are several domains in cybersecurity, you know, and, and I think that there's always a place for anyone who is interested in joining or getting uh, into the cybersecurity field. There's GRC. I think it's also called security and risk management. That does not need any form of technical knowledge. It's mostly, it's as simple as audit. I mean, if you can sit for the CISA exam 
or take one of the fundamentals of cybersecurity certification, you'll get acquainted quickly. Uh, and it doesn't stop there. If we should not all think that cybersecurity equals network security because that's the assumption that many people have where they feel like, oh, I have to know about network. Yes, you do have to, but not immediately. It's something that you will get to, you will get to know as you expose um, yourself to the knowledge. And I think one fascinating thing was when I was studying for my CISSP exam, I did not know by heart the OSI model where you have, you know, there are seven layers of the OSI. And I, I, I felt the need that, that the question will come out in the exam. It did come out in the exam, but not in the, in the form that I was expecting. And that knowledge was really important. But my point is, and to, to the question that um, you asked, what advice would I give to the person who does not know anything at all about cybersecurity, but is willing to uh, break into the field, explore the various domains, watch videos about it, try and get familiar with the terms, the concepts, and pick a particular domain that you work on. Security and risk management or GRC, um, which is governance, risk, and compliance. There is identity and access management. There is security operations where we talk about disaster recovery, uh, business continuity planning. There is no need for technical knowledge per se. In-depth, you know, there's need for technical knowledge, but not in-depth, you know, in those kind of domains. And I'm sure that as you do well in those domains, you can now start to move into other domains and be successful in them. Let's talk money. Let's talk money. So mm. I want to break into the cybersecurity space. How much can I expect to be paid? What is the demand for jobs looking like? I mean, in IT, we've had all these fads that come and go. Um, they say, oh, right now it's ERP. Everybody runs to ERP. They now say, oh, it's this certification that is is raining. Everybody runs to this certification. And then it becomes jam-packed and mm-hmm. they certify one million people and then no <laughs> jobs again. What are we to expect? How much can we expect to be paid and what is the demand looking like in the future, based I on mean, what you've seen? In cybersecurity, uh, I think there's still, there's still a lot of shortfall in terms of personnel required. Um, according to Robert Half, uh, the least that you'd expect to earn in a cybersecurity room comes to about 90K. But is that in if, Canada or in the US? In Canada. In Canada. Canada. I mean, this is just Canada. Um, That's 90K. Canadian dollars, sorry to cut you in. Yes, 90K Canadian dollars. And it's really interesting because uh, that is just without certification. Now, once you start to play in the certification space, uh, and, and that's it goes back to the previous point where uh, what should you do if you, if you don't have any knowledge of cybersecurity to be able to make up for the lack of experience, um, you would need a certification. I'm not a huge advocate of collecting certifications or certificates, mostly because of the expense that comes with it. Within the big picture, uh, what you should target are strategic um, certifications that will put you on, on that pedestal where you can get a job, you know. And then from there, you can now start to look at, you want to take all of the AWS certification, for example, or all of the Azure uh, certifications. What is really important is taking strategic certificates that would boost your uh, job 
job search or job landing search, you know, instead of you who doesn't, you don't know anything about cybersecurity trying to do CISSP, I would say, look at things like CISA, uh, build on that. Or if you feel like, oh, CISSP, you can do it, please, by all means, go for it. But consider the price. It cost about um, 1400 Canadian when I did it. And then there's a fee that you need to pay, annual fee that you need to pay. But in terms of the money, in terms of six figures, uh, yes, you can make six figures uh, within the cybersecurity space. But I would say that you need some form of certification to back uh, your claims. Many recruiters or many uh, jobs are big on certifications. You also have to know how to negotiate, of course. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, for it's sure. really important that you just keep that at the back of your mind. Yeah, I will say, I mean, before I hand it off to GJ, I will say that 90K is a good salary. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, not not that you should peg your dreams, but it's a good start salary for a newcomer that can actually get you started. So I'm hearing two things. Certifications are good, but don't spend all your money getting no. certifications. Yeah. yeah, don't spend one, one thing. One, one thing I also tell people a lot is, while it's good to get certifications, job experience is good. So as soon as you can, even if it's an internship, get into a job space and start learning on the job. I think that's that's something very, um, very important to also note. Yeah. Correct. So I love the sound of those numbers you shared. Uh, the experience <laughs> and certifications you have. I can only imagine how you must be smiling to the bank every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you for not charging us for this conversation. It's been difficult <laughs> to afford you. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for taking our time to chat with us, Abby. Uh, this has been super insightful. Uh, it's been great having you on. Uh, to yes. connect with Abby, please reach out to him on LinkedIn via Abimbola Adegbite. So we plan to record a couple of podcasts uh, monthly. Uh, we would like to speak to. We'll be speaking to specialists and migrants based on what listeners would like to hear. So we'll put up polls on our social media accounts beforehand. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us bring in, especially to speak on, uh, go to our social media pages, put in your votes. I'm looking forward to many more exciting discussions. Uh, Moby, is there anything else you'd like to add? I just want to thank Abimbola for taking our time to talk to us today. It's been insightful and just great hearing about your journey. I hope your story inspires somebody out there. You don't need a computer science degree to be, to break into the IT space. Cybersecurity is big. You can earn six figures. Who knows how much <laughs> Abimbola is earning? Yeah. And regardless of where you're coming from, there's hope. That's what I would say. Yes. All right. Thank All you right so then. much, guys. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Moby. Thanks, everyone. Yes. Have a good day. <laughs>